Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I don't know why I'm yelling again, but this is uh, Jeffrey Paul. I am not with my uh, uh, co-host tonight, Sean Morton. He's not feeling good, the poor baby. But I do get the honor to interview. Uh, she's not only a comic, but she's uh, an author. Her book is out now. It's called Time to Lighten the F Up. Uh, I am really excited to, to have this interview. She's not, not only a comic and an author. She's also my friend. I'm I'm proud to call her a friend. Let's introduce her to the show, Miss Madison Malloy. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. And I do. I adore you. And I'm so glad that we're friends. And I'm so honored that you wanted to have me on your show. So thank you. Of course. Of course. Uh, I know you did an interview with uh, a, a former guest and a, and a pal of ours as well. Uh, you were on uh, Fox with uh, Jimmy Fallier. I was. It it was a lot of fun. You know, those shows are a little bit different because it's like you come in for different segments. So you're there for like 15 minutes and then you're out. So it's a little bit different. But um, Jimmy's hilarious. And it, it was so fun. And just to be able to be on that network was was amazing. And you've been keeping yourself busy and you've been going around and promoting the book. Yep, been promoting the book, been on a lot of podcasts, a lot of radio shows, starting to get some TV segments that I can't announce yet, but they're starting to come up. So that should be really good, uh, you know, to give another spike to the book. But the book hit number one the first like three days it was out. Um, so I got verified bestseller status. And, uh, you know, it, it besides the catchy title, uh, which is very relevant to, to you know, our life right now. Um, people are enjoying the book and it's impacting them in a positive way. And that is what is making me so happy right now. Well, let's get into it then. Okay. Let's start talking about the book. Uh, okay. So was there any moment, you know, in your life, anything that made you want to write a self-help book? Because that's what this is. This is a, yeah. a self-help book. So any moment that, you know, was there a, a, an incident, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, an interaction, uh, you know, uh, an event in your life that made you want to write a self-help book? So I, when I started in comedy, I went in with, you know, bright eyes and, and excitement. And, uh, and how I old got were you there when you did I, that? 27. Okay. And so this I, was one year ago. Good. So go on. Exactly. <laughs> so I was very, very excited not realizing the difficult road that was ahead of me. And uh, during, you know, trying to swing it as an artist coming from Wall Street, I fell into depression and anxiety, and I never really experienced those things in my life. Uh, didn't know how to deal with it. I kept putting it off as an excuse, like, oh, I'm now an artist, so I have to be depressed. I'm now a real comic because I'm depressed. I'm depressed because I'm not rich. I'm depressed because I'm not famous. And it was always an excuse. And what was really happening well, was- Hold on I a second. Was... was it a real depression or was it like, hey, you're playing a role because, you know, you know, you know, comics are supposed to be dark, man, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you're supposed to be in therapy and supposed to be depressed. So were you playing a role or was it real depression? No, because I never wanted to identify it as depressed. I never wanted to identify with a mental illness. I do you wanted... find it to be a weakness? No, I just, I just never had it. I didn't know how hmm. to deal with it. I didn't want to identify with it. Um, and I thought maybe it was a phase and I kept trying to do everything, listen to self-help podcasts, enroll in the Mind Valley School, um, reading books, Law of Attraction, trying to practice those principles to get myself out of there to help 
propel me faster towards success. And it wasn't working. And I feel like I was slowly adopting those principles, but nothing was really working. And I felt like I was constantly in my own way. It's like I was sabotaging success. And I know it sounds crazy, but I think it's like a formula of everything that kind of came together. But what was the aha moment for me that lifted the depression, the anxiety, the self-doubt, the lack of confidence, low Mm self-esteem, all that stuff that was holding me back was when I started praying to God. And I would ask God at night, I would say to him this, God, please help me remove the obstacles and the struggles in my life. Please help me see the gifts that you've given me and to make this world a better place please help me not feel this way anymore. And I would say that prayer and people tell me, what was it? What was that one thing that did it? It was, it was prayer. And I didn't never pray. Okay. I grew up in a Christian household. We went to Bible school uh, on Sundays. And then when we got to high school, our parents gave us the option because they didn't want to force anything in Colorado. They didn't want to force anything down our throats and they wanted us to make our own decisions. And so they continued going to church. I had high school things to do. I stopped and um, I would always call home and say, pray for me, pray for me to do this, pray for me to get here, pray for me. And uh, one day my mom said, you need to pray for yourself. And I said, I don't know how to do that. She said, you just have a conversation and he will listen. And they would pray all the time. Not to get off topic though you know again was it so is it is it fair to say it was a culmination of things that that propelled you to to write a book or what was there an event was it something you saw was it something that that all of a sudden was the spark that said i have to write a book it was when everything lifted and i was able to get past this dark cloud and start embracing and seeing opportunities and get out of what i call tunnel vision and realize that there's so many different ways to make money and find success within entertainment and within other areas of my life, that door started flying open for me. So between the prayer, practicing law of attraction, being open to opportunities, and once I felt like, wow, I'm not in my own way anymore, I see life in a whole different landscape. I'm not overcomplicating things. I got to write this book. I got to give this advice to the world because it is selfish for me to hold on to this shit. And so it was my mission, which is my purpose in life is to inspire and bring joy to others. And I knew when this book dropped into my head that I had to do it. I always wanted to write some sort of book. I just didn't know what it would be. And it's like, by the grace of God, this just dropped into my head. I started working on it. And then I prayed and said, show me the way to get things done in my life. And I jumped on a podcast. Three days later, I was on a plane to Mexico at a mastermind with all these CEOs and these doctors. And one of the guys there was a CEO of a publishing house. And I showed him what I was working on. And by the time I got back from Mexico, one week later, I had a publishing deal. And five months later, the book hit How do you How do you go to Mexico and just walk up to a CEO? I mean, is, it, is this just fate? Is this just meant to be? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you do it's that? Fate. 
it's fate. I was, it was a Thursday. I was recording a podcast with a big uh, speaker and coach. And when we got offline, he said, what are you doing next week? I think it would be helpful for you to come to this mastermind. It's a very intimate group. So what is a mastermind? Pine. It's basically like high-end business people that are focused on one thing. So this was a conference, a Clint Arthur conference called Impact, Influence, and Income. And it was how to build your brand kind of your, and create like a celebrity entrepreneur so it's something right up your brand something level. right up your alley. Yes, and he goes. I think you need to come here. There's all these people from all different walks of life, very high up in their businesses. I'm gonna give you a discount so I can. I know you can't afford it, and come. And you will spend a week in Mexico, unlimited food, unlimited drink, unlimited education, and networking. And you're gonna leave with great friends. You're gonna feel better because we have health food. And of course, I'm thinking, well, what do I have next week? I've got to do this. And, and the excuses started pouring into my head of why I can't get to Mexico in three days. The plane tickets were that was a, over $1,000. And I thought on the other side of discomfort is where growth happens. And I felt very uncomfortable booking a trip three days later to Mexico. I didn't have a pedicure. I didn't have my highlights done. I think my my bush was still intact from March. I was like, ah. I don't have a wax. Nothing. Was this going to be on public display for everybody, Bush? No, but you know, you're going to be in Mexico. <laughs> I just had laser. I couldn't be in the sun, like for my like freckles. Everything was working against me. And I said, fuck it, I'm going. And that's a pretty it was the cre- courageous decision, decision you made. And it was the best decision. That decision to get on that plane changed my entire life. So you said, you said something before, and we're going to get to the book in a second. Um, and I was going to save this for a little near the end, but um, are you a religious person? What you do, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're always a religious person. Yeah, I used to say I was spiritual because I felt that like I didn't want to exclude anyone. But as I really stepped in more to my faith, I realized that for me, I'm a Christian. But I talk about faith in, in a way where it's like you can identify with whatever faith you want. You just have to believe in something bigger than yourself. So whether it's the universe, God, whatever it is, for me, it's God. Um, they're there to guide you. And I am not ashamed. I am proud to be a Christian. I love spreading the word of God. I like to, I, I like to get up now and when I leave my house and anything I do I ask God to like work through me and when I do that I find myself in a more uplifted just empowering attitude to where I know when I'm working like have God working through me that I have the ability to impact people's lives every day and that's one of the things that I really like have realized that confidence is such a big thing to success and I talk about this in the book confidence people are saying you know do things that make you look good go to the gym get the Botox get the facials get your hair whatever it takes to be more confident but what they're not talking about is the really deep inner confidence and what I discovered is that one really powerful tool to build your confidence is to step in and realize how powerful you are. And you can do that 
by aiming to impact three people's lives in a positive way per day. And it's as simple as passing somebody or or you're at a Starbucks and you tell the Starbucks, hey, you're doing a really good job. Thanks for thanks for all the hard work. That's it. Hold the door for somebody, compliment them they're on their outfit, buy a coffee for somebody, throw a dollar in a homeless person's cup. There's so many things you can do, but when you start doing that and aiming to positively impact three people per day, you will realize how powerful you are and you will build your confidence. Aren't these things that we just do anyway? We hold the door for somebody. You you know, I I always say- Right, but you don't pay attention to it that like these are things that really mean stuff to people, right? So like when you go to a coffee shop you step up, you order your coffee, you give your money, you step out of line. That person, they're not working for a very high wage. They probably got people yelling at them. Maybe you could say to them, hey, I really like your smile. Nice eyes. I mean, maybe it's easier for me because I'm a girl. You, they, you no, might no, be I like, do. well, that's a little creepy. <laughs> Madison, is a you You know the place probably. There's a coffee shop right across from the comic strip. Okay. I go, okay. You know, whenever I perform there, I always uh, go to that coffee shop. And you know me, I talk to everybody and I always get yeah. in conversation. And then they all know who I am, you know, because they always have something positive to say. Yeah. You know, I like to show I relate to the common folk, but no, but yeah. I, 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 but I agree with what you have to say. But I just, I get maybe I just kind of take that for granted. But you know, you do because you're a good person. That's why we're friends. Um, but there's so many people that don't do that. They just don't, especially in New York, New York, being living in New York and then leaving New York and then coming back to New York. New York has so many positive things about it, but man, people are angry and uptight here. I got to say, and I didn't notice it as much. And I think I probably was the same way when I was here, but like, I notice it now and I kind of laugh. I'm like, chase people need to, it's time to light the fuck up New York. It really is. Um, but I think it's just important. It's, it's a big confidence builder knowing that you can positively change and impact somebody's life, just a simple gesture. And that's why being kind is so important, especially in this like very divisive time in our lives. It is. I, I never kind of knew this side about you. So let me ask you this. Um, <laughs> I, I did it behind all the cock jokes. Yeah. yeah really. I, I got to tell you, I told somebody, I ran into, I found out I had a, a former friend that was a scam artist and I recently found this out and I ran into a friend tonight and he said to me or somebody I knew and said to me, I'm so sorry. I was kind of rude to you and I met you, but we found, were finding out that your friend was a scam artist. And I'm like, I didn't know at that point. And they go, well, we thought maybe like he was also buying hookers at the same time. So when you came in and you were like, I'm TJ's friend. We didn't know if you were a hooker, you were a con man, like we didn't know. And I'm like, I had no idea. And um, so he's like, we were very kind of like standoffish to you. And I go, oh, I'm definitely not a hooker. I mean, I suck dick for free because I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? <laughs> goes, we're going to talk about sucking dick in, in, in a bit, trust me. Because, because it God comes is up not in, judgmental. <laughs> no, and it comes up in the book. So it's not, it does. It's, it's not me trying to be a pervert. Yeah, it's, I'm trying to quote the book accurately. Okay. <laughs> but being a comic uh, is a hard path, right? You, you know that. Oh. 
there's a, a lot of rejection uh when you know uh, i spent uh july on the road so i know there's a lot of loneliness uh when i would come home for a day i you know i took my son with me on um on one of the trips because you know after a while you know sometimes you appreciate your you know your your, your alone time but after a while kind of tests you a little bit um so let me ask you this because of just comedy itself and the path that that is have you ever suffered any bouts of depression because of comedy yeah because, yeah real real depression because of comedy not because you know you it, it is fake thing, but like it really kind of gets to you yeah because, the rejection. because you know maybe I'm, I'm prejudging you a little bit here okay or i'm projecting that's probably more accurate you know but i you know i think growing up sometimes you, you know it, it seems like you know like high school was easy you know college was fun and then you get into the real world and you get into comedy and you're told no you know, like you, you, you're not on the Tonight Show. You're not, you're not doing, you know, the A uh, clubs or as many A clubs you'd like. And you know, after a while, and you see people, you know, who who are passing you by, and you know, had you know, it, it can get to you. So, of you know, course. have you ever, so, so have you ever kind of felt like that, and and have you ever gotten depressed because of it? Yeah. Of course. I mean, you're, you're always wondering, like, when is it going to be my turn? What is the quicker path? Why are people getting noticed? And I'm not. How am I not getting the opportunities? Um, there was a lot of times that you would spiral. There were times where I remember thinking, like, I remember times where I wouldn't date men because I was like, I have nothing to offer them. I'm not rich. I have no money yet. And I'm a liability. I'm not an asset. And it was, it was a three wow. to four year period. Yeah. And my confidence was in the gutter. And so between that and trying to get rich to did prove you, myself. Did you, did you hide it, Madison? Did you mask it? My depression? No, you, you know, your confidence. Oh, yeah. People used to tell me all the time. Oh, you're so confident. Exactly. But that that's really, really you, that's my point. Because you always come off that way. You always come mm -hmm. off as someone who knows what they want. They're always in control. Like, you know, you, you never, ever that I've known you. And I know you for almost yeah. 10 years now. Okay. Yeah. I, you've never, you know, I never knew that side of you. And that's why this mm -hmm. book is so revealing. Yeah, it really, it's like my diary, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, You're like, jeez. Well, let's talk about the book. Okay. So in the book, and just tell me if I if I if I say anything that that is inaccurate about it, okay? So in the book, you talk about not caring about what people think. All right, um, how do you or anyone really not care about uh, what people think, especially as comics, because we all want and we all need validation. Yeah, so that obviously when you say don't care what other pe people think, it is easier said than done. It constantly takes practice. It is something that you are constantly always going to have to do. But there's healthy caring, which is making sure you look appropriate, you smell good, you shower, you're presentable, you're polite. And then there's unhealthy caring, which goes into, I'm not posting something, I'm not doing something, I'm not starting something that would improve my life because I'm afraid of what people will think, that's toxic. So when you start to write that, kind of write it down, 
and you start realizing like I'm holding myself back because I'm afraid of what people will think about me that's when you know okay that's an unhealthy what can I do to pull past that and so we are as comics looking for validation but the quickest thing that I learned that built my confidence the fastest and got me out of my own way was when I thought if I wait around for everyone else to validate me, for everyone else to think it's okay, to wait for everybody else's opinion, to feel it's okay to do something, I'm going to wait around till my funeral. And I was not going to wait around. And I thought, well, I'm going to validate myself. I'm going to do what it takes to make money because money is going to help me feel more confident. It's going to help me feel more secure. And then I just started stepping into out of my comfort zone where I thought, I can't post this picture. People are going to think I'm ridiculous. And as much as I was uncomfortable and I was kind of shaking a little bit, I posted the picture. And it wasn't so bad. And you just start stepping into that power. But you have to realize, like, I think it's the one of the best things that can happen to you is somebody rips you apart and they tear you apart in the media because then you're like, well, shit, I'm unbreakable now. I'm good to go. Like, the person who cares the least what people think is the person who is the most powerful in the room. You're always going to have feelings. But that is, so this is my follow-up question to this. Okay. Like you're talking about things that hundred percent, right. I mean, but that, that, that true meaning of really not caring, not having to psych yourself up to not care, but to truly not care. So how does someone get to that point? Because if someone, if someone really does care, you can get what is known as vapor lock where you are, you're, you're afraid, you're overanalyzed, you get into your yeah. own head and you wind up doing nothing. It's almost paralyzing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So how does, what advice would you give someone listening to this show to get past that, to take the first step? What's the first step that someone can do to actually not care and not get in their own way? So it starts with your confidence. The more confident you are, so doing nice things for people, affirmations, realizing... Here's a really crazy thing that worked for me that built my confidence and made me really realize, okay, I'm glad that this just popped into my head because it's in in the book. Um, Okay. Think about your mortality. Think about your death. Think about it. Okay. Think about your funeral. Think about laying in a hospital bed and it's over. That's it. That's it done and at any given day it can be up for us we're not guaranteed to live till 80 or 90 or 100 none of us are i don't know that i just got hit hit by a car in april yeah right yeah like it could have been lights out but when you think about your mortality so if you're somebody who's paralyzed going i can't do that because i'm so scared of what these people think start thinking about your funeral Start thinking about your deathbed. Start thinking about the things that you're going to fucking regret. Are you going to care what they think when you're about to die? You're not. And realize that that could come at any moment. I like to say the two things, the most powerful things you can have at the forefront of your mind are morality and mortality. Morality keeps you kind. Mortality keeps you in check, meaning that you're going to take the risk that you need so you don't have regrets when it's too late. 
I think and that's that will get you the quickest way to say, am I going to care what Becky thinks if I die tomorrow? The chances are you're not. I think I think that's excellent advice, and I and I and I know it's practical advice, and here's how I know that. Um, so, like I just said, I I got hit by a car in April, and you know, listen, I, I'm okay now. That was um, insane. It was insane. I mean, like, listen, my shoulder still hurts. You know, this <sighs> this is in April, but listen, I'm 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 here to talk about it. I I landed on my elbow and my shoulder, and. <sighs> Now, well, listen, it could have been worse. What if I landed on my head? It could be eating all my meals out you, of a straw. Or, I, or, or I could dead. Have, or I could be dead, okay? Um, but what what it, what it taught me is that, one, um, you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I know that's a cliche, but you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the things that went through my head when I got hit was, one, I can't believe I got hit by a car. Two, this is the way I'm going to die. I'm never going to see my wife or my kid again. I'm going to miss my spotting tonight. Okay. These are the things that were going through my head. But, but what I, but the lesson it taught me was um, I'm not putting all, and and combine that with lockdowns for over a year is that I'm not wasting any more time and I'm going to do things out of my comfort zone. And one of the things I'm doing, Madison, is I'm in the New York Comedy Festival this year and I'm doing, um, yes, and I'm doing a musical. Okay, I'm doing the Jackie Mason musical for three weeks at Caroline's. Okay, Uh, anyway, no, and and it gets better. Listen to this. I am singing. I have a solo in this, okay, where I'm doing jazz hands and all kind of like, hey, pointed and stuff like that, right? And maybe a year ago, I wouldn't have even thought about it. But like you said, working out of your comfort zone, thinking of your mortality, who knows if I'm going to be able to do this in six months from now? Maybe another car is going to want to hit me. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no. Who gets hit by car? Me and deer. That's who gets hit by cars. Okay? Was it in the city? No. It was a it was a half a mile away <laughs> from my house. I was going, I, I parked my car at my at the at the gym. I was walking across the street to get a haircut. I was going to go work out, pick up my clothes at dry cleaning, and I was on the road that weekend. I got hit by and a it, car. Did they run a light? No, they were t- making a turn. I'm in the crosswalk. I still had time. The car comes this way, hits me. Okay, I see the tips of my of my shoes in the air, and then the next thing I know, I am on the ground, numb. The woman rolls down her window and goes, "Are you okay?" And as I'm spitting out pieces of my teeth and my stomach, okay, I am. I, I go. I think I need an ambulance. Okay. So somehow I get myself up because I'm in the middle of the street because I don't want to get hit by another car. Okay. Because the first time it wasn't so good. And so, (laughs) and so I go to the sidewalk and and I collapse. The woman then pulls over. Now, now there's a crowd of people around me. I know I'm hurt, but I don't know how hurt I am. So I look at somebody, I go, do I look okay? And the woman goes, Oh God. Like all of a sudden, like I'm Rocky Dennis. Right. So, so now the woman now pulls her car over and goes, um, I'm going to leave. Okay. So this other woman goes, you're not going anywhere. I just called the police. You have to stay. And since that I've been going like for, uh, I go to, to, to chiropractic, I go for treatment, uh, every week, you know, and just get oh, myself stronger. Poor thing. Poor th- yeah, I know. I need, I, I need comfort. Um, okay. So. So let's uh let's get back to you though, okay? Um, 
your podcast, and we'll get back, is also about self-help, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So was there any guest uh, or interview that inspired you to write the book? Uh, well, Clint Conversation Arthur. Conversation with? Clint Arthur was the guy who dragged me to Mexico. When I told him, guy. yeah, so he's written books. He's one of the top speakers in the world. And he's the one that said, you want to write a book, you want to speak, you should get to Mexico. So that was the most life-changing podcast I ever had. I had great conversations with all my guests. Um, some were more impactful than others, but that was the podcast that changed my life. Okay. Um, totally changed it. You also say in the book uh, that your grandmother was like a, a very influence, very very influential in your yeah. life. Uh, tell us about that. And if I'm not mistaken, again, she said something about golf. She did, yeah. Okay. She so my grandmother. I mean, she she was uh, she scared the living shit out of me till she was about seventy nine, eighty. I was like, I don't know if I like this woman. She made me very nervous because you didn't want to piss her off. You just wanted to impress her. You know, it was always this like this drive to to be something. Um, was she successful she in life? You know, they didn't have like what you would call, um, you know, money making career. She was a phys ed teacher and a lacrosse coach. And then my grandfather was a scientist. So they had, they had, you know, they weren't rich, but they had solid money skills and they knew how to invest and save. And they retired multi, multi-millionaires with multiple homes, summer homes, winter homes, vacation homes, off a teacher salary and a scientist salary because they knew, they knew how to, to say they knew what to do with yes. their money they <clears throat> and they were always talking yeah they said you need to watch cnbc you need to invest you need to i remember one day i was little and i put some salad dressing on my salad and we were up at their lake house the summer house the lake house and i put too much dressing on and my grandmother said no no you will measure that or next time i am taking it out out of your allowance and you will pay for that do you know what that costs and i was like holy shit <laughs> so i was learned so the terrified. value of a buck though madison I right learned the, i learned the value of wasting i learned the value of how much things cost that nothing's for free um but yeah they were constantly and they were like you gotta play golf if you want business like they just kind of, they were hard asses, but they were very influential as far as like, you wanted to succeed for yourself, but there was this, there was this burning desire to succeed for them too. Like, I'm going to show them I can do it, you know, you are, they were great. Yeah. You have, you have a lot of depth there. You really, you really yeah. do it. And that, that is a very, very important lesson. A lot of people, a lot of people never learn that lesson, the value yeah. of, of a dollar waste, wasting money, what to do with money. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something, you know, that I've come across with people who are, are uh, very successful financially is, you know, you would think like, oh, they, they could afford to kind of like waste salad dressing, you know, but, yeah. but it's not, but it's not just salad dressing. Salad dressing is the microcosm of basically how they live their life. And, and it's consistent. And it doesn't waver. Yeah. Right. You don't waste things. You use them and you, you know, I remember when, when she, when my grandmother um, 
you know, unfortunately started to, you know, she was falling into dementia and she couldn't get to the summer house anymore, which was very heartbreaking because it was her favorite place. And we would go up there and, uh, you know, we started cleaning stuff out and they were so, it was so funny because her best friend came over who also had a summer house down the street and you started seeing like you would go through and she's like, oh my gosh, these are the measuring cups that I got your mother for her wedding shower in 1945. <laughs> she still had them. She's like, why do I buy any measuring cups? I got ones that I got when I was in college in 1945. I'm just going to use these. And they were in that house and she used them until we got rid of them in 2018. Now, was, she, was she a Christian? Was she a Calvinist? What was she? <laughs> she yeah, no, she was. It a sounds Christian. like a Calvinist, right? <laughs> yeah, no, she was a Christian. She was just very smart with money. She laid all the floors in the house. She built them herself. She um, grabbed the stones so she could, you know, help the firemen or the the whoever. What are they called? The people, the masons, build the fireplace. So she did a lot of the stuff when the first build was done. Um, she drove the boat. She was the boating instructor uh at, at the lake um she uh drove the shuttle to the church on sundays there was an island where you'd go to church and so you'd part if people didn't have a boat they would park at this place and then they would take a pontoon boat so she would drive the pontoon boat to get everybody to church on time and it was like a sunday service on an island it was beautiful but my favorite story was my grandmother she because she was the new york state boating instructor um she would call people out if they were doing illegal things on the lake well that's fine except for when you're a teenager and there's hot boys and your grandmother sees them violating something and you're on the boat with her and now she's gonna go pull their ass over it's highly embarrassing so one day she's like oh those kids on the jet skis don't have life jackets on so here she goes whoop, pulls right up to stops them was like excuse me i'm betty Hewell, and i'm the new york state what a, what a perfect name for that job too betty Hewell. <laughs> i'm the new york state buddy instructor my brother and i are like kill us now kill us now please 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 she's like you need to have a life jacket on that that is a that is a, a watercraft and you are required to have a life jacket where is your life jacket you better go to shore or you bring back the life jacket and they were like uh yeah, so she, I mean, she was hysterical. And then she used to wake us up at like six in the morning because the, the lake was like glass and we were in the Adirondacks. So it's also 45 degrees in, in at 6 a.m. in July because it's the mountains. So she would be like, oh, get up, it's glass, go and ski in. And you didn't have a choice. You just like put your suit on and like jumped in the water. You were like, whatever you say. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I, I really, we used to have a, um a place up in Lake Wallenpawpack, which was, you know, uh, a man-made lake up in Pennsylvania. That was okay. our, that was, that was our summer place. Yeah. Um, you know, me and my, we, we bought it and me and my brother-in-laws put an extension on, we built the deck and everything. We had it for about 19, 20 years. And, uh, you know, after a while it becomes a pain in the neck to take care of. Um, yeah. Okay. So, but, um, you sounds like your grandmother really taught you some important lessons and maybe yeah. maybe it, it made you go into this field because you worked in finance mm -hmm. for a little bit so um finance and being a comedian is there any parallels there and if they are what what is it oh god i don't know the parallels total opposites i mean one pays one doesn't 
uh, at the beginning. But um, no, I, I think that like uh, finance made you tough and, and, and aware and financially sound, like smart, aware. And then comedy gave you the balls to like not be scared of anything, like speaking in front of people, taking chances, but you were able to have the financial education behind you to where you could continue to survive on a lot less money and figure out what it was going to take if you wanted to make that happen. So I don't know if there was like parallels necessarily, maybe cocaine, but I well, it if depends the, on the group. If it, was, no, just if it was the 80s, then we don't want to give away your age. So you Yeah, know, no, it wasn't. I was a baby. Okay. But, um, you know, it, it's like, I, th I think with, with, you went into this comedy in your 20s, okay? So were you doing finance at the same time and doing comedy at night? No. So I did uh, Wall Street for like two and a half years. And then... The crisis happened and we all got laid off. So that was a nice shove right out the door. Gotcha. Then I went to go try an e-commerce business because I knew I didn't want to work in corporate America. I was miserable. I was like, I can't work for the man um, or the woman. I just didn't want to work for somebody and uh, went to go try that. And there was several different factors uh, that we didn't make it. And uh, from there, I was like, well, this is failing. This is insane like what do I do I've totally screwed up my series seven has expired my 63 has expired I'd have to retake it nobody's hiring on Wall Street I've oh, been so out you, for you three worked, years so you worked in in, in with, with stocks you you uh you had taken your series uh, seven and your series six 63 yeah wow I mean and for people who don't realize that's almost the equivalent of having a, a master's degree in finance well yeah well yeah it's like the license you need to trade because I was doing mortgage-backed securities like fixed income bonds See, again, so you had to have that. Know you all this time. They didn't they even uh, didn't even know that about you. I, I didn't. <laughs> you know, I went. I see. My path is I went into comedy late because you know I never wanted to be poor. You you know, you know what I mean? It's like, and that's I, why you went into comedy. No, I went oh. <laughs> once. Once I was financially secure, I went into. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I never see. You know, right from right from high school. I wanted to get into acting. I wanted to do uh, stand up, and yeah. you know, my parents basically hired they hired Raquel Welch's personal assistant to talk me out of it. That okay? is freaking hilarious. <laughs> there was probably a smart move, though, honestly, because sometimes you, I think, I think it's like it's great to follow your dreams, and I'm glad that my parents were like emotionally supportive of what I wanted to do. But sometimes I wish I was like, you guys should have told me not to do that. Um, but I think it's important that you have business skills and money in the bank before you do the arts. Like any kid that like, if you're a parent listening to this and your kid wants to be an actor, like make sure they have a job, like not a, not a, not a, not a restaurant job, like a real job. Like, before. But I was around it because for 19 yeah. years I had toured with, I did four to uh, tours with the Stones. I did two with Springsteen. And I then I finished up with Journey in 2002. So, you know, I'd, oh, always, I, I'd always been been around it, you know, but I was making money. But I but I wasn't I wasn't performing. I was on the production. Yeah. Line, you know? Oh, and, okay. But, but I still had this creative side because I would constantly always be writing. 
And then I had friends that were comedians. I would kind of like, you know, contribute and, and write or they would say, hey, check this out. You know, can you punch it up a little bit? You know, and then there comes a point in your life where you're like, if I don't do this, I'll regret it. And the, I think the one thing you don't want to have in life is regret. No, regret because like, is what, like you, Because what you said earlier about being on your deathbed, no one ever is going to sit there and, and say, you know what? I probably should have worked a little bit more. I should, I ne I'm not taking that chance. Yeah, no, you're 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 never gonna say that, and and I like I like the fact that you brought up the deathbed thing again because I think it's important because even though I wrote like a self help book and you know I I feel like I I have wisdom and I have a lot of great advice to give, um, I'm also a human being, and so naturally there are times where you start to feel like you're going a little bit down again. I just now have the tools and tricks to get out of it much quicker. But I recently had a situation where I really had to pick up my book and like, like, look at a chapter again and read what I wrote. Um, because I had like, met some person who was causing me confusion. And it's like, they liked me and then they didn't like me. And then they liked me when they were there. And then it, it was just making me feel sad. And I'm like, what is going on? And I went to my relationship chapter and I said, read the advice you gave everybody else in the book. And I reread it. And one of the things that I wrote in there, I said, I got to be honest with you. If you're questioning how they feel about you, if you are confused, they don't like you. It's as simple as that. And boom, I closed the book and I said, boom. I'm not staying in this anymore. I am bummed. And I gave myself, because I think it's important that you don't smash your feelings down. If you're feeling sad or upset about something that you don't just bury them, you give yourself a time limit. So I gave myself 12 hours and I set a timer on my phone to talk about it, to be upset about it, to process it. And as soon as that 12 hours went up, that was it. It was done. And for me, what I did, because this is healthy for me, is that, and I hear this, this is especially for the girls, and this could be for the guys too. So with social media, what my girlfriends will do is they'll say, but he's looking at my stories. But what does it mean? He always looks at my stories. <laughs> Dude, he's not texting you. He doesn't like you. So you block that. Sounds like he's trolling. You block them from your Instagram. That way you don't have to worry about if he's looking at your stories and you block them from your phone. If you haven't heard from them in 24 hours and they are mentally affecting you and causing you disturbance in your peace, you block them. That way I never have to pick up my phone and say, I wonder if he texted because he can't. Why? Because it's healthy for my mental health. And that's what helped me process to close the doors. So that could be good advice. Don't wait around saying, I hope I hear from him. If you block them, it's done because you know you won't. In the book, so you make this comparison, Maris, Madison. Okay. Um, and it's pretty early on in the book. Um, <laughs> okay. You're laughing. So you think you know where I'm going with this, right? You compare life to sucking dick. So my question is, I so, told you we get around to this, right? Did, did your mom and dad read the book? <laughs> yes, they did. Okay, so they read the book, but I was in New York when they read it. So I wasn't with them when they read it. So they, so I called, so I was talking to my dad one night and he said, um, yeah, uh, so I started reading your book. I'm on chapter three 
I only read to chapter three. I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading it. And I go, Oh, so what do you think? He goes, it's very well done. It's very well written. Um, but I think I told them about how I feel like life is like sucking dick at a frat party, just hoping you're going to get invited back the next time. You know, it does. It feels like a chore. You're just like, eh, did I suck it hard enough? Am I good enough? Like, that's what it feels like. And I wanted to say that because everybody thinks it, but they're not going to say it. And I said, well, fuck it. I'm going to put it in a book then. And it's going to be forever imprinted in their minds. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I think you're applying what you said earlier on in, in the uh, interview is that, you know, you don't give a shit what people think. Some people may go, be, uh, and then there are some people who are going to say, you know what, totally kind of relate to it. Either way, doesn't yeah. make a difference. You put it out there. You feel good about it. And that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. Here's the reality check. 50% of the people are going to like you. 50% of the people are not going to like you. So what are you going to do? Live your whole yeah, no life trying to, trying to apply to the 50% that don't like you? Or are you just going to do with the 50%? So I know that this book is helping people and changing people's lives. It's not for everybody. But like, I know that my dad's sister did not read this book, but my dad's sister doesn't support anything I do. So that's fine. She doesn't support anything he does either. So, and she's not listening to this podcast. So I can talk shit about her because it doesn't matter. Um, so she's not reading it. She didn't even like any of my answer, like any of what's the name? I'll posts. send her a link to this. Yeah, right, Barbara. <laughs> not my mom. My mom's sister is amazing. She's very, very supportive. It's my dad's sister, but none of my cousins, like on my dad's side, on my mom's side, they all bought the book, shared it. But my dad's side's a little more prude. But I think it's because they were avid readers and they were like, "We're the scholars. We're the studious ones." And and one's a librarian and like I'm the only one in the family that actually wrote a book. So maybe they're just jealous. Speaking of writing a book, what's the Who actual... knows? They all they need to lighten the fuck up, though. I'll tell you that. They, they right do. <laughs> so you should send them an autographed copy of the book and highlight that. Chapter. I will. Be like, please suck dick and lighten the fuck up. But no, everybody has their 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 good parts. So, so I can't judge them all. So let me ask you, what's the actual process? that goes into writing a book, right? Like, do you sit down and write, okay, I, I, chapter one, chapter two, or is it stream of consciousness and then you kind of edit it and put it together and it's, it's like in pieces? So what I did for this is I wanted to hit the topics that I wanted to, right? So being offended, being afraid, validating yourself, fear, all these different topics, right? So what I did was like, I would write down the topics and then I would start putting the thoughts behind those. And then I would create like a synopsis. So I was kind of like building out like a big spreadsheet or like a big PowerPoint, right? And then I would expand on those thoughts. But I went to a seminar and there was these authors there. Everybody had written a book with me. And I learned something and I'm going to share this with you. Best thing I ever learned. Changed my life. So... People will say to me, oh my God, I read your book and it sounds like you're talking to me. Well, there's a reason for that. So in your phone, there's a record button. You record your comedy sets, right? right? So what I would do is I would say, okay, I want to talk about validating yourself. These are the points I want to hit. Blah, 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 blah. And then I would put my dog on a, on a leash. I put my headphones in, plug my phone in, hit record. And I would talk like I was doing a lecture on a stage about the importance of validating yourself and what if you don't, how you'll be waiting around 
forever. And I would just talk and talk and talk and talk. And then I would upload it into transfer it, upload it into my Zoom account. And there's a transcribe. Yep. Because Zoom has a transcribe feature. And then I would upload the recording. It would transcribe it, spit out a Word document of everything I said in my conversation recorded. So I had uninterrupted, unfiltered thoughts. Then I would take that and be like, okay, here's all the stuff. And you would clean it up. Sometimes you would cut it, move it. So a lot of authors, especially self-help, because they want to be authentic and match the tone and meet the, not miss anything because they don't want to miss a thought because they're like, oh shit, I need a comment there. Back, back, back. Right. They record. So like, there's one chapter. I think the chapter on being offended, I was in the Taco Bell drive-thru. I'm like, why the fuck is everybody so fucking offended? Everybody's offended. Well, it's never about you. And I was just rambling on waiting for a, a Crunchwrap Supreme. Cause I was offended the line was so long and, and I went home and transcribed it and like cleaned it up. And like, I had a publisher, so I had like a coach with me. So she would help me and be like, okay, add here. This doesn't make sense. Add there. Um, but that was a great way to do it. So if you're like, oh, I don't know what to write, try recording on your phone and transcribe it and watch how things just really start to come together. So that's my, you- that's my secret of the day. Did you talk to other authors about writing a book? Anyone give you advice? Well, they gave me that advice. Most of the books are all done in verbal and then you transcribe them. And that's right. when I was like, mind blown. Blown away. Okay, a couple, couple more things here. And then, then, you know, the show is called Who's Your Band? So we got to talk a little bit of music before we wrap up. Um, but yeah, talking about something earlier on. Uh, you know, I, I am always fascinated about depression. Uh, sometimes I, 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 I kind of, kind of battle it a little bit myself. Can depression or mood be medically related? Yes, of course. Um, obviously depression can be directly related is related to your serotonin levels in your brain. Um, another thing for me too, was I, uh, wasn't feeling for the first time I wasn't feeling good instead of rushing to get a antidepressant I rushed to get a physical and figured out what was going on I was diagnosed with low vitamin d which has caused depression and a non-functioning thyroid so I got both of those fixed things were getting better um and then I started to kind of fall down back down again and it was my mother and running into other people that were like you probably should get your hormones checked but you have to go to a private doctor because going to a doctor that your insurance covers, they're not going to give you the the depth. All your hormone tests will show up normal based on the insurance test. So you have to go to a private practice. So I went to a private practice, found out my testosterone was absolutely in the trash. And uh, I was able to like get pellets in my butt and it kind of regulated everything and everything I was kind of feeling just lifted. And I thought, holy shit, people are running to their primary care doctor to get an antidepressant. And then they're running to a therapist who takes 150 to $200 an hour from them to talk about their problems, which is good. However, what if they don't really have problems and the reason they can't process is because their hormones are imbalanced. 
So I try to tell everybody before you take an antidepressant, go to a private practice doctor, before you spend money on therapy, get your hormones checked, get an in-depth panel, make sure your thyroid, your vitamin levels, everything is working because if your body doesn't work, nothing else will work. And I would hate to watch people sit in years of therapy when it could have simply been an adjustment in the hormones. Changed my life, changed my life. I now go every six months because um, I don't ever want to fall down the path. I go every six months and I get like five, they do a whole like blood panel and they look at the levels and then they just, it's like, you don't even feel, they put a needle in your butt cheek. It's like, you feel like a little pinch and then you're numb. And then they like slice you open barely. They custom the pellets that are for you to what you need. And they shove them in your, in your opening right there. And they put like a band-aid stitch. So there's no stitches. They just like seal it. You have this waterproof band-aid you can shower with for three days, three. I left mine on five, but cause I was scared. Um, it's like nothing ever happened and your life changes, changes. So I encourage everybody to fix their this, body before they fix their mind. This is great advice. And again, guys, the book is called lighten time no, to lighten time to <laughs> time to lighten the fuck up because people are so uptight these days. Yes. And, and listen, we, we could spend, I could spend another hour talking about this stuff, but we, we're running out of time here. So, uh, I do, I do got to talk to you a little bit about music, okay? Yeah, uh, I love music. Yeah, so your band, uh, I you caught me a little off guard with this. I didn't see this one coming. Um, <laughs> we've been doing this show. I, I wish Sean was here because he can he can verify. We're we're over a hundred shows, and we're probably coming close to two years doing the show. Mm-hmm. Um, no one has ever brought uh, Motley Crue up. How yeah. you get? How you get the Motley Crew? Um, I had an older brother that listened to Motley Crew, and I just like really got into it, and I just loved the songs. And um, but a funny story about Motley Crew was one of my favorite songs by them when I was like in high school was uh, "Same Old Situation." I just like the beat. I like the words. I just like the song, right? I wasn't really listening to the meaning. And then I got to go to the after college. I got an opportunity to go to a Motley Crew concert. And they came on stage and to sing my favorite song, Same Old Situation. And I quickly realized what the song was about uh, when they brought two lesbians out that were banging each other with dildos. And I was like, oh, that's what the same old situation means. (laughs) Here I was just jamming away. It's, but yeah. I love the girls, girls, girls song because I like spent a lot of time at strip clubs in my day, like never worked there, just spectated and spent money. I just, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. It was like, I always did things. I'm like, do it for the story. So I've been in more titty bars than any woman that hasn't worked there. Madison, December 1st, if you're still in the New York area, you know Matt Bridge. I will be. Okay. Yeah, I know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're doing a, a a show. He loves this type of stuff. We're doing a show uh, in the basement of a titty bar. Where is it? I'm looking at the date right now. December first is a Thursday. It, yeah, I think we, that could work. Yeah, that's a th- it's a Thursday night. We're doing it in at Black Betty's in New Jersey. Okay, Black so, Betty's. Huh. Yeah, Shamalam. Um, if I. <laughs> If I had to put you on the spot and it said, give me a top five uh, Motley Crue songs, what do you get? What can you do? 
God, I don't know if I can do top five. I can't even think right now. Same old situation. Girls, girls, girls. Dr. Feelgood. Great intro to Dr. Feelgood. Probably one of the best Dr. intros. Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> God, I don't, I don't, I can't think of the other ones right now. I was going to pull up my playlist. Because I'm a huge, I love Motley Crue. I saw them over the summer. Oh. Um, they played uh, on the uh, stadium Wild tour. side and kickstart my heart. Okay. Oh. So, so if we're doing this list, and I wish Sean was here because we, we love doing lists. Um, me and you would have one repeat. I, for me, it would just have been uh, Wild Side. I'm going to say, if I had to go number one, for me, it would be Primal Scream. You know, oh, uh, that, yeah, that was off of that. that was off of Decade of De- Decadence. It's, it's not off of an original album. It's off of the greatest hits. But yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's but it really shows what a great guitarist uh, Mick Mars is because it's got like that yeah. slide to it and it has that like that yeah. funky uh, intro and that, that funky riff, uh, which I yeah. love. Uh, I I love like one, one of the more modern, uh, you know, more more the newer uh, Motley Crue songs would probably be like uh, Saints of Los Angeles. I thought I don't think really... I've heard that one. I've got to check that out. Oh, it's so, it's so good. Uh, you should go on YouTube. They did it at, uh, on Kimmel, and they just blow the place up. It's really good. Um, Wait, is it like a new song, like today? Came out like no, it came out in like 2013. I want to say. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Slightly okay. earlier than that, but I'm saying for Motley Crue. Yeah. Um, and then like you know, you go back, you know, to the first album, like a song like Live Wire. I still yeah. love. Um, yeah. I love. Uh, uh, don't go away mad just go away you know great message yeah. in it too it's I really true. Like that. and then probably wild side you know that'd be my top five but it's so hard to come up with a, a top five of, of a band that you'll just love so much well i know and it's like i love them too, like really like i like their music and stuff i really didn't pay attention to like the band members but i remember the spring i watched um uh, the hulu show Pam and Tommy, Tommy and Pam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, I was like, God, this guy was such a douche. Like, she was such an airhead. Like, huh? I mean, I, it was well done. I thought the costumes were good. I thought, but I was like, what an asshole. Like, seriously? Did you, did you, did you make it through the whole thing? I did because I was had laser done and I couldn't go outside. And I was at my brother's house watching his dog and my dog. So I was kind of stuck. I had nothing better to do. So I did. <laughs> I watched the first couple episodes and, you know, kind of tapped out. Yeah. Well, I had nothing to do. I couldn't go outside at lasers. I was like, I guess I'm stuck watching this show. (laughs) I think it was on Netflix. Did you see The Dirt? I haven't seen that. But I know like Pete Davidson was in that, right? He was like, yeah, "Yeah, I got to see that because I like Pete. Yeah. He doesn't doesn't, uh, stand out in it. But I'll tell you who really does. Machine Gun Kelly playing uh, Tommy Lee. Oh yeah, machine. He's a talented guy. He's, he's a little, great in it. He's, he's a absolutely little satanic great. for me, but he's a great, great talent for sure. Yeah. Listen, Madison. This 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 hour flew by. I know. Okay? I had so much fun with you. So thank you so much. Uh, that that's something I've always wanted to hear. Um, yes, but thank you uh, so much for coming out and doing that, guys. Um, the book. It is called. Time to lighten the fuck up. Tell people where they can get the book. Yeah, so they can get the book Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, and make sure to follow me on social at Instagram at 
real Madison Malloy, Twitter, Madison Malloy. You can find me. I'm not hard to find madisonmalloy.com. Um, I always post about the book and I have stuff going on there. So definitely pick up the book. Um, it is impacting people's lives. Now I have to ask you a question. Did you, you read the book? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, this is the way I read books. I, I mean, I, I must have about five. Well, I need to on... ask you like what you thought of the book. You never told me what you oh, thought I, of listen. the book. I, I I liked it a lot because I it's, I find it very oh, relatable. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Absolutely. I think I think it's great. Um, this is the hard thing for me about reading this book, that knowing you, because <laughs> it, because it you know I never knew you in that light. Like I see you differently now. You know, if I'm going to be honest. Hopefully, it's better. You see. Me oh, it's better. much better. It's much. Listen, <laughs> I never. I never. I'm not gonna say I never thought badly of you. I, I mean, I, I think when I first met you, I maybe I kind of like had a, a different perception of you. And then the, <laughs> it's true. And then the more yeah. I got to know you, I mean, obviously I, I started to like you and like you very much as a person. I thought, thought you were you 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 were great and 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 true. I, I, and like every time I I walk away, I go, you know who's pretty cool? That Madison Malloy. Oh, you know, thank I, you. I always say she she was really cool. And then uh, during the pandemic, we hung out a little bit at a uh, Karuchi's uh, yeah. football club. Yeah, you know, we did. Show. Yeah. Um, and like you, you, you just kind of like were very easy and go with the flow. But when I'm reading this book, I'm like, I'm reading it. It's like, like hold on a second. This is Madison Malloy saying this stuff, you yeah. know? And I'm like, but this is really smart and insightful. And, you know, but, but put in terms that you're not, see, I think sometimes like when you, if you read like self-help or if you read anything by someone like Jordan Peterson, Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's very verbose and I think he kind of like talks over people's heads and you're like, you almost need a thesaurus to kind of figure out what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay? totally. And this is put in like, I'm like, I'm saying folks, read the book. And here's the reason why, because it's an easy read, you know, yes. you know, it, it, it's, she's not talking down to you. She's talking with you and you're going to read this and, you, and you're going to be like, Okay, I could see what she's saying because I've been in that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know? So yeah, I, I I did enjoy it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for reading it. I appreciate it. Yeah. But the way I read books is I have, like I said, I have about, I probably have right now about four books on, on my night table, you know, right by my bed. And I start a ton of books. I don't ever finish anything. You know, well, the because... one thing, yeah, the one thing I will say about this book that I, I told people is like, you can, it's, you know, it's only 150 pages. So you can read it on a plane ride. You could read it in one night. But the good thing about it is the chapters are, That's are right. laid out and you don't have to read it in order. So you can always go and you can be like, hey, I'm feeling anxious today. And you can go to the fuck the fear chapter and it'll give you the sub chapter. Like, oh, OK, cool. Page 49. And who cares what they think? Page 54. I'm going to reread that to give me that extra boost for the day. So it's almost like you can use it as like a guide for you. To where you're like, ah, I don't want to be offended. Okay, go into could, that chapter. So it's not, walk, you don't have to read it in order. Could someone walk in, into a bookstore and buy it? Um, I don't know if it, okay. So there's a whole thing. I You'll learn so much about books when you write a book. Holy shit. So there's a whole thing with like bookstores. So you want like, some will go into bookstores, but like when you go into a Barnes and Noble, you have to do a thing where like, you ship them out, you pay for them, and then you ship them and they put them on the store and then they'll try to sell them. And if they don't sell them within a certain time frame, then they ship the books back to you. But here's the thing. They have 90 days to pay you and then another 45 days 
to like have the check sent. So you basically like, you don't make any money at the stores. You really don't. You're just there for show. So it's better to actually sell online. Um, some of these will be in the stores. You can go into a Barnes and Noble and they, if you say, I want this book, it'll, it'll show up in the store, but online's better because then you don't have to like wait the 60 days for the inventory. It's a whole shit show when you go to the bookstores. I didn't realize that. It's like, it's like they say, if you're a, uh, a widget producer, let's say like I make, I make these pads, right. And I like the best pads you've ever had in your life. They always say as a product manufacturer, the best day of your, the best and worst day of your life is when Walmart calls <laughs> because they will, buy, they will order so much. They will literally make you like bankrupt. And then they will wait 90 days to pay you. And you're like, how am I going to float this capital for 90 days? So it's the best and the worst day. But that's the book business. Madison Malloy. The book is called time to lighten the fuck up guys. Go out and check it out. Madison. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. You're amazing. I love thank this. You. It was, this was great. Now I'm going to go night night. Yes. Uh, we will be back next week. And I, th I think we're going to have another author on this show. I'm not sure. But uh, guys, check us out. Uh, we are in everything. Continue to subscribe. Keep the numbers growing. And we will catch you next time. Madison, thank you so much. We are out. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye, Madison. Bye.